Well, the clock is fixed tonight. It makes us feel better. This morning I got up here, it said 1222. I said, oh my goodness. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Father, we pray that you would take us tonight into something of the depths of the importance of these words, their relevance to our understanding the world in which we live. We pray that you might, we might allow you to do this, that we might be an effective witness for you here in the closing days of this age. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have, if you have been with us on Sunday night, we have been thinking about the critical importance of the words of the Lord Jesus here. If ye continue in my word, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And what we've been doing is thinking about what has happened in this nation because we haven't continued in the word of God, the King James Bible. Because we haven't, we've talked about some of the lies that are being propagated and believed by the people of this nation. The lie of climate change, the lie of abortion, the lie of homosexuality, <clears throat> the lie that man is basically good, and therefore guns are the problem. Not man, guns are the problem when it comes to crime in America. Last week, we began talking about how, um, because we haven't continued in the Word of God, this nation does not know the truth about the nation of Israel and its land. And the result is we're being told, and many are believing a lie. Last week, we looked at a map of the land of Canaan, the land that God promised to Abraham and his seed forever. The land that goes from the river of Egypt, the Nile River, as part of the western border, I guess we could say the southwestern border, unto the great river, the river Euphrates on the east, and then from the wilderness in the south, and Lebanon in the north, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast, the Mediterranean Sea on the west. This is the land that God gave to Abraham and to his seed after him for an everlasting possession. And yet, what do we hear? What do we hear chanted? What do we see even printed on T-shirts? Sarah sent me a, a picture this week of uh, a T-shirt that says, From the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. 
Now, they say the river that they're referring to is the Jordan River. Not so sure about that, but we'll take that at its face value. And the sea is the Mediterranean Sea. Michigan Democrat Representative Rashida Tlaib, who is the only Palestinian-American in Congress, I would say she is American in name only, she posted a video to Twitter on Friday that featured a group in Michigan that chanted these words, from the river to the sea. Those words have very serious implications. One of the implications is that Israel is the occupier of this land and not the rightful owner of it. That Israel is the oppressor. But the greater implication is that those words are a call for the complete elimination, annihilation, if you will, of the Jewish state. And our government, the Biden administration, which, you know, really is the third term of Barack Obama, if you want to be honest about it. This administration, in spite of their words to the contrary in public, by their support of the so-called two-state solution, I believe this administration is for the elimination of the Jewish state. Because that would be, if not for the word of the God of heaven who cannot lie, the word of the God of heaven that he's given the land to Abraham and to his seed after him for an everlasting possession, and that is the way it's going to be. If not for that, a two-state solution would be the end of the Jewish state. And we saw the results of a two-state solution on October 7th. And yet, in the face of the plain truth that was demonstrated for all the world to see on that day, because this nation has not continued in the word of God, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said Friday, quote, the United States continues to believe that the best viable path, indeed the only path, is through a two-state solution. That's the only guarantor of a secure Jewish and democratic Israel the only guarantor of Palestinians realizing their legitimate right to live in a state of their own, enjoying equal measures of security, freedom, opportunity, and dignity, the only way to end a cycle of violence once and for all. Think about what this man said. He said that the only path is to defy the God of heaven. That's what he said. Defy the God of heaven and take the land that God gave them for an everlasting possession and give it to the people whose stated purpose is to annihilate them. 
We'll see this very plainly. If you'll turn back tonight to Psalm 83. Psalm 83 is one of the most critical passages in the Bible to understanding the Middle East and understanding the conflict that's there. Psalm 83 and verse 1. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold thy peace and be not still, O God. Verse 2. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. Notice the language here. Thine enemies, they that hate thee, have lifted up the head. The head in the Bible is a symbol of authority. And the position of the head, as we see it, is an indication of whose authority, who is in charge. A bowed head speaks of submission to God. It speaks of humility before God. It speaks of worship of God. We read in Psalm 3 and verse 3, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. When we trust the Lord Jesus, when we claim the Lord as our shield, when He is our glory, then He lifts up our head. The companion verse to Psalm 3 3 is 1 Peter 5 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Bow your head. Make him your shield. Make him your glory. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the cross, in the cross we sing, be my glory ever. And when we do that, he exalts us. He lifts up our head. But a bowed head is not what we're reading about here in Verse 2, we're reading here about the enemies of God and them that hate him. And what is, it, what is it that characterizes them? It's a head that is lifted up, not by God, but by men. A head that is lifted up in pride and self-exaltation and rebellion. A lifted up head that says, we will not have this man reign over us. Now look at verse 3. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden one. These are 
the people who are the enemies of God. These people who hate God. They have an enemy here on earth. They have an enemy here on earth who they hate as the manifestation of their hatred of God himself. And who is that? It's God's people. They, God's enemies that hate him, they have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. In verse 4, we read their plan. In verse 4, we read their ultimate goal. And in verse 5, we read about how they're going to accomplish their goal. Verse 4 says, They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. Note that word, thee, again. They are confederate against God as they seek to destroy his people Israel. And the language in verse 5 is so important to notice, and we'll talk about that and see that in a few minutes. Consulted together, one consent, confederate. And we're living in the day when we can see the full impact of those words. Because it's 400 million Arabs who have consulted together with one consent and are confederate to cut off and remove 7 million Jews from the nation of Israel. Now we want to notice who these people are who want to cut off God's people from being a nation. Who the people are that want to do it so utterly and completely that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Think about that. No more in remembrance. Like it never even existed. Look at verse 6. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites, of Moab and the Hagarenes, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also is joined with them. They have hoping the children of Lot. Selah. Meditate on this. Think about this. The nations that we're reading about here are the nations that surrounded Israel and Judah at the time that this psalm was written. And when was this psalm written? Well, some believe that it was in the reign of Jehoshaphat. And I think there's reason to believe that that is the case. Look back for just a minute at second, keep your place here and look back at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And look at verse 1. 
And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. We're in the days of Jehoshaphat. It's in the time period after he had made this alliance with Ahab. And in his days, the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside, notice that, other beside the Ammonites. So there's more than just Moab and Ammon. They come against Jehoshaphat to battle. And if you look at verse 10, we learn who the other beside the Ammonites are. Verse 10, And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. Mount Seir. That's the tabernacles of Edom in verse 6 in Psalm 83. That's Esau. Esau is Edom. Mount Seir is his place. We learn that in Genesis 36 and verse 8. And then in Psalm 83, we notice immediately after Edom is mentioned, the tabernacles of Edom, we read about the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites. And I believe it's like that because you remember that Esau went unto Ishmael and his rebellion, and to demonstrate his rebellion, and to demonstrate that he could do whatever he wanted to do. He didn't have to do like Jacob. He didn't have to, to go and, and go back to uh, his father's people to take a wife. Esau went unto Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, to be his wife. Genesis 28 and verse 9 tells us that. And so that brings together, that, that brings this alliance between Esau and Ishmael. And so in the tabernacles of Edom, I believe you'll find the Ishmaelites. And so I believe uh, that these other beside the Ammonites that we read about in verse 1, might very well have included the Ishmaelites there. They're confederate with Esau. They're confederate with um, the tabernacles of Edom. And if you'll notice 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 11, we'll read about the purpose of this coalition that came against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is praying to the Lord. And notice what he says in verse 11. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. That is exactly what we see here in verses 3 and 4. Now, we mention this because it gives us a way of putting this psalm into a time frame. And so if it is in the days of Jehoshaphat, and if it is um, related to what we just read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, 
then the time frame would be about 900 B.C. And that's important because here are these people in 900 B.C., 2,925 years ago, banded together with the very same plan and the very same purpose. Look at Psalm 83 and verse 4. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. If you want a verse that explains the conflict in the Middle East, that verse is it. Psalm 83 and verse 4. I believe that means that these nations listed in verses 6 through 8, their descendants are the Arab Muslim nations. They're the very nations that we see surrounding Israel today. And they have the exact same goal as these people had in the days of Jehoshaphat. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. And I tell you what that tells us, folks. There is no negotiating with people who have had the same goal and the same purpose toward Israel for 2,925 years, they have never changed from that goal. They've never backed away from it. There is only one solution, and that is that these people have to be totally defeated. They cannot be spared. They have to be utterly destroyed. <clears throat> The people of Israel know from their own history what happens when they spare their enemies. That's what the book of Judges is all about. It's what we see in the reign of the first king of Israel, King Saul, when he spared the Amalekites. And his sparing of the Amalekites cost Saul his life and Israel victory against their enemies. It was an Amalekite that killed Saul. And the enemy that Israel is being pressured to spare. And they've been pressured into sparing the Arab nations going back to the 1967 war. Going back to the 1973 Yom Kippur war. They were pressured, stop, stop, don't go any further. They're being pressured today. They're being pressured by the O'Biden administration to spare these Arab Muslims. And the enemy that they spare will be the enemy that will kill and burn their babies, decapitate them, put them in piles, set them on fire. The enemy that they spare will be the enemy that will rape and slaughter Israeli women, slaughter Israeli children, and brag about it on social media. I heard 
the other day. It had to be translated from Arabic. This, this Hamas fighter who called his father to tell him how he had killed 10 Jews and how excited he was about it. They even televised their atrocities, some of them on the Internet, just like ISIS did, you remember. But there's a name here in verse 7 that we want to notice back in Psalm 83. Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. We want to think about that word Philistines for just a minute. If you look this word up, it's word 6429. It means land of sojourners. And we find this particular Hebrew word eight times in the Old Testament. Three times it's translated Palestina. Three times it's translated Philistia. One time it's translated Philistines. That's here in Psalm 83. And one time Palestine. Palestine. That reference to Palestine is in Joel chapter 3 and verse 4. And it's associated with Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were on the Mediterranean Sea coast in what is Lebanon today. Now, if you remember the map from last Sunday night, that area is part of the promised land that God gave to Abraham and his seed. He gave it to him for an everlasting possession. Hence the meaning of the name Philistines, sojourner. And the meaning of the name Philistine, the other word Philistine that appears 218 times in the Old Testament. It's word 6430. It comes from this word 6429. And it means immigrants. And that's important because even when the the Philistines at various periods took and controlled land in Israel, in, in the promised land, they were sojourners. They were immigrants on it. They did not possess it because it was the possession of the children of Israel. They were the uh, interlopers, if you will. David Cloud has a really good book. Uh, He has a lot of good books, but one in particular that's very uh, handy to have is his encyclopedia of the Bible. And he, he says in there that the Philistines were a people who lived in Canaan. They were Israel's enemies. We know that from studying the Old Testament. They originated from the cursed family of Ham and Canaan, Noah's son and grandson. And Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos and Zephaniah prophesied against the Philistines, how God was joined going to judge them and how it would be Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans that would destroy the the Philistines as a viable nation until they all but disappeared. And so you have this land, Palestine, that is part of the promised land Then the Romans come, as uh, Benjamin Netanyahu points out in his books, another book I would recommend to you. 
And they used the name Palestina to replace Judea. And that's important because until the 20th century, again, this is as Prime Minister Netanyahu points out, the name Palestine referred exclusively to the ancient land that belonged to the Jews. There were no Palestinians. The Arabs who lived there were called Arabs. Under the British mandate between World War I and World War II, it was the Jews who referred to themselves as Palestinians. Palestine was their land. They were Palestinians. Gold of my ear is Israel's only woman prime minister. She served from 1969 to 1974. She was the prime minister during the 1973 war. But this is what Golda Meir said. Listen to it very carefully. She said, I am a Palestinian. From 1921 to 1948, I carried a Palestinian passport. There was no such thing in this area as Jews, Arabs, and Palestinians. There were Jews and Arabs. There was no Palestinian people considering itself as Palestinians. It's very important what she said. Because that's what the Bible prophesied concerning the Philistines. God inflicted judgment upon them through the Babylonians. And so there was no Palestinian people who were walking around considering themselves as Palestinians. And so as Prime Minister Netanyahu correctly states, the term Palestine was a synonym for this geographic area, we, we looked at it last Sunday night, encompassing the land of Israel, the promised land. But then we come to 1964. And in 1964, the PLO was established. The Palestine Liberation Organization. And... Their goal was to unite various Arab groups and create a liberated Palestine in Israel. That was their goal. And I think it's very significant that they would choose the name Palestine. Palestine is the name of this land that God gave Abraham. That's how it was recognized. And to use, for them to use that name implies that they are the indigenous people. That they are the owners. And that Israel is the oppressor. And it allowed them to take the uh, position as the oppressed to carry that image to the, nation of the nations of the world. Folks, words have meanings. Words have meaning. And, and words that are picked and used are very important. But Benjamin Netanyahu asked this question. 
Where was the Palestine that the PLO was supposed to liberate? In 1964, when it was formed, Judea and Samaria and the Golan and Sinai were in Arab hands. There were no occupied territories for the PLO to liberate. Now, that to me takes us to these verses here in Psalm 83. Because I believe that what we can see in verses 6 through 8 may very well be a prophecy of the PLO. This organization whose goals were to unite various Arab groups. Isn't that what verse 5 says? For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. And because they are confederate against God, they are confederate against his people. And here are the various Arab groups. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab, the Hagarenes, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, the Philistines, with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher is joined with them. They have hope in the children of Lot. And listen, think about this. Since there were no occupied territories for the PLO to liberate, What that means is that there was only one reason for their existence. One reason for their existence. And it's what we read here beginning in verse 3. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Folks, is this not an amazing book that we have? And if we had only continued in it, this nation would understand who the enemy is. And it's not Israel. If we had continued in God's word, the Obiden administration would not have taken crafty counsel against God's people. This administration would not have freed up over $70 billion for Iran. Forget the $6 billion that they gave for the hostages. That's peanuts. They have freed up over $70 billion while Biden has been in office. Iran has got that, and it has allowed them to rearm themselves. It's allowed them to arm Hamas and to arm Hezbollah. It's allowed them to get farther down the road. The other day, a deadline passed, and the Biden administration did nothing about it that would have uh, sort of our last chance to keep Iran from building an ICBM. They're, they're getting, they're well down the road to having a nuclear weapon. And what are they going to do with it? They're going to start a sequence of events that's going to lead to the rapture, praise God. That's what they're going to do. 
But their goal and the goal of their confederates is that Israel, the name of Israel, may be no more in remembrance. If this nation, I just I don't say this nation because it, it suggests everybody in it. If this Democrat administration had just continued in the Word of God, they would not be engaging in this crafty counsel of diplomacy that says publicly what we want to hear. We support Israel's right to defend itself. Sounds real good, but privately. This administration is pressuring Prime Minister Netanyahu to agree to a ceasefire. A humanitarian pause. Do we have that in World War II? I don't think so. Telling Israel to hold back. Telling Israel not to go too far in this war. And the reason they're doing it, they don't want Israel to win. They do not. It doesn't matter what they say publicly. Their words are one thing. Their action are another. The words of the Lord Jesus are so critical to our understanding of the world. They're so critical to our understanding the Middle East. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We need to continue in his word. We need to continue in his word so that we can know the truth, so that we can proclaim it, so that we can not be ashamed to, to stand for it and not be ashamed to stand for the nation of Israel. God said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. We need to be those who are willing to stand in this day and to take this, this word, this book, that to me spells out exactly what's happening and give out that message because the Lord's coming very soon. That's where all of this is headed. The star in the east, Israel, we can see it. We need to be looking for the Lord's return and living for him. Living and looking. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this amazing book that you've given to us that is, is up to date as what is going on in the world right this very second. What a treasure we have in it. We pray that we would be those who study it, who see its application to our lives as individuals and to see its application to understanding the world that we live in so that we aren't following cunningly devised fables. We pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for Prime Minister Netanyahu. We pray that you would give this man strength. We can't think about him, but without thinking that we pray for his salvation, that he might understand that the Messiah has come and his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. 
We just pray that you would help that country. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.